Welcome to See Your Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are studying the book of Acts. Today, we discuss Paul traveling to and arriving in Jerusalem, as well as his arrest in the temple. James encourages the believer with what Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verses 9-11, through 11, when he declared that the purpose of persecution is to witness to him. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. Holy Father, as we come together to consider your word, what you've done through your servant, Paul, as that you enlighten our minds, enlighten our hearts, you fill us with yourself. Speak now to your servant, give us ears to hear your holy word. Bless us with your providence and your presence. It's in your son's name we ask. Amen. All right, so we are reading chapter 21 until verse 37, because whoever divided the chapters had a little fun here. And we're so we're going to stop at verse 36. Um, and we'll consider that this is basically three different parts. Okay, so going into this, it's basically Paul traveling to Jerusalem and being warned during that time. And then once he, he arrives and is received in Jerusalem, and he's got to make peace with the Jews, basically. And then he's arrested in, in the temple um, after being beaten. But, uh, okay. So, chapter 21 until verse 36. Now it came to pass that when we, we, that when we had departed from, there, from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to coast. The following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied, with, uh, accompanied us with wives and children till we were uh, out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave from, of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when, when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemies, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. And the next, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days we packed and, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also some of the disciples from Caesarea went, went with us and brought with them a certain uh, Manasin of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and, said, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. 
but they've been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their, shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men... And the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him, in, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing, and some another. So when he, had not, so when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, Away with him! He who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear it. Okay, so... To start off with, one thing I do want to mention is what is interesting when you look, when you study the book of Acts, when you look at different commentaries, most, a lot of them, are, they're huge, they're big books, right? So, but the biggest chunk of them is from like chapter 1 to chapter 18. Typically from chapter 18, the last chapter is chapter 28, it's very small. Because Luke basically records a lot of the ministry, a lot of what we can learn uh, doctrinally, through those first 18 chapters. And then he kind of quickly moves into this history of Paul going to Jerusalem, being arrested, being, a, you know, uh, beaten, and also then he will go to Rome. He will go to Caesarea for a time first, and then he will go to Rome. But this all moves very quickly. Luke's narrative changes from this, this kind of slow-moving narrative to drastically speeding up. So that's why we're considering most of the chapter today. I mean, these are in three basic chunks. I'm going to avoid the temptation of getting into too much minutiae of these places that have nothing to do with anything. I mean, these are all historical places, very great historical places, like Rhodes is very well known. He used to have this huge statue of uh, Apollo, which was called the Colossus of Rhodes, and this, and like his feet would be on either side as you would come into the harbor, basically, that you would go between his feet. By the time Paul uh, is, is traveling, 
that there was a great earthquake and that had come tumbling down. So there were just a feet there kind of a thing. But so, but Koss is where uh, Hippocrates was from. So the, that's where we get the Hippocratic Oath. So there you go. That's, that's all I'm doing now for these different places. So he's going through these different places to get to Jerusalem. Okay, so now it came to pass. Remember last week he had had that solemn departure from the, the Ephesian elders, right? And so from there, from that sweet meeting, he goes on, uh, when we departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos on the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. This whole trip, this whole journey on the sea takes about five days, just real quickly, because remember, he's trying to get there in time for Pentecost, okay? So he's going through these different areas on the way. And finding a ship uh, sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. So, obviously, they're heading to Phoenicia. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed, uh, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload it, her cargo. So remember, when Paul and Barnabas was first called out of Antioch and separated by the Spirit, right, to go out into all the Gentiles, the first place they went was to Cyprus. We don't see Paul going back there. We, when, when Barnabas and Paul split up, Barnabas went to Cyprus. So here, he still passes by uh, Cyprus, probably again, to get to Pentecost, to get there in time, because he also wants to visit some of the churches on the way, as we'll see, down the coast of Phoenicia, and then going up to Jerusalem. But, so, uh, that's what he's doing. So it's passing by Cyprus. It says on the left, if you see the map, it basically means on the west side, it, it would have taken far longer to go on the other side. And finding disciples. Now remember, this is Tyre. Remember, we talked about Tyre and Sidon. And in the Old Testament, in the prophets, they, they will incur great judgment. They were very helpful early on. Tyre was, anyway. The king Hiram uh, provided David and Solomon with material for the temple. Remember, uh, David wanted to build God a temple. And God said, no, you're a man of war. Your son, whose name is peace, Solomon means peace, he will build me a temple. Right? So, but the king of Tyre was very helpful in that. But then they became allies with their enemies, and so Tyre would incur great judgment. However, one of some of the verses I want to mention here uh, regarding Tyre. So in uh, Isaiah twenty three eighteen, her meaning Tyre uh, gain and her pay will be set apart from the Lord, for the Lord. It will not be treasure nor laid up. For her gain will be for those who dwell before the Lord to eat sufficiently and for fine clothing. So in other words, Tyre will not be totally void of God's people or God's witness. He will have a faithful remnant in this place. And that's what's going on here. There are disciples even in Tyre. So um, Tyre still does have a great witness. So, and here, Paul still has plenty of time to go to Jerusalem by Pentecost. That's why he stays there, there seven days. Okay. Um, when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were, uh, until we were out of the city. And when we knelt down on the shore, and we, uh, we knelt down on the shore and prayed. This is a wonderful, fantastic story of the, the entire families of these people. Remember last week, it was just the Ephesian elders who had come. So it was just a bunch of men who were crying. But now the families, all of the families, because the church is one family, all the families come and accompany them to see them off. And as, before they set sail, they all drop to their knees on the shore and pray together. 
What a beautiful, fantastic picture of God's family, of God's people with these accounts. So let's just not miss these things and just skip over them lightly. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when, uh, and when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemy, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. So again, that's down the coast. So instead of walking, it's faster to sail. Sometimes, and oftentimes, especially in the Mediterranean, is just on the west coast of, of Phoenicia, so on the east end of the Mediterranean. Be high winds there, and so it would be typically faster and easier, you know. <laughs> so they're, they're sailing. Um, okay. Uh, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. Uh, yeah, and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Yeah, and so remember Philip, though. Remember, he was one of the seven. He was, it was St Stephen and Philip. And, and then after Stephen's martyrdom, remember, through the persecution, through the, the stern and strong persecution, many of the apostles, and well, the disciples were scattered. One of them was Philip. Remember, he ended up in Samaria, and he ended up preaching in Samaria, where, where Simon Magus, where he found Sim the, the hypocrite, and false believer, Simon Magus, right? Remember that? And then, and then they're still being persecuted, and God, and he also preached to the eunuch, so Simon Magus and the eunuch and all the Samaritans, or Samaritans, and then he went down all the coasts of Phoenicia. So that's who ministered and really founded those churches. And then remember, Peter went back and revisited them because that's what they would do. To, to partner with the ministry, the apostle would come, and strengthen the church founded by these disciples. So at first, Peter, or I'm sorry, Philip was a deacon. Remember, they were they were in charge of the of the money. Remember the tables. They were in charge of the serving tables, right? And so after Stephen's martyrdom, though, remember Paul authorized Stephen's martyrdom, and I had even said there we will see Philip in chapter 21, and Paul and him stay together. They lodge together. Remember, Philip had to have loved Stephen with a strong brotherly love. And so these two men, Paul and Philip, were at once harsh enemies. But through the peace of our Savior, through the reconciliation that he brings, they are brothers. They are brothers and they're happy brothers to be brothers together. And so they come and they meet. Now, Philip is here called an evangelist. So again, he was a deacon at first, and now he's called an evangelist, which is only used really three times in the Bible. Here, uh, it's used in... Oh, great. I knew this wasn't going to work. Uh, it's also in Timothy, but then... Here we go. Uh, yeah, 2 Timothy 4.5, where he implores Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Ephesians 4.11-13 through 13 says, And he himself gave some to be his apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we, uh, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. However, so it's just those three times. However, the, the verb to evangelize, remember this, this word means it's used about 25 times just as preaching, but it's usually giving good tidings, giving glad tidings. In fact, uh, so... It's 23 times used as just a uh, uh, preach. It's usually the kingdom of God or the word or Jesus or it's preached the gospel. That's 22 times. Bring good tidings. That's two times. And so it's always, the, and remember, we had talked about 
how that signifies that herald of the battle, right? The herald of the war who, who once they've gained the victory, I mean, unfortunately, they'd also have to bring bad news, but this is what they're talking about, though, the glad tidings. Uh, in fact, in Isaiah, it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And Nahum, one fifteen, we haven't talked much about Nahum, uh, behold on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So you could tell, you could typically tell what the message was by the feet of the herald. If he's coming slowly, then it's probably bad news. When it's glad tidings, that man is running. He is eager to bring the gospel the good news to the people, the citizens, the, the people of the land, the people who have now gained the victory. So that's what it means to evangelize, to bring good tidings, to bring the good news of Christ. So again, evangelist is only used three times. To evangelize is used 55 times. It is something we are all called to. Okay, okay. And we're going to get to that here in a second because he has four virgin daughters who can all prophesy. And real quickly, well, let's just, let's, okay. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Okay. So, and in tradition, in tradition, these were very, very vital in the early church. Three of them lived to be 90, but they were very instrumental in the early church. There's more history there, but they're very integral. Uh, there are other prophetesses as well. But this only lasts for a time, which we'll get to when we look at Agabus. But for this, for the early church, this evangelist, this man who is now going and preaching and pro proclaiming gr glad tidings. Again, that's what uh, God had, had him do when he went out to Samaria. And then when he uh, preached to the eunuch. And then when he went down the coast of Phoenicia. And so, or Palestine, basically. And so that's what he is called to do. Now he's an evangelist. And thanks be to God, because... Partly because of his faithfulness, but also because of God's abundant faithfulness, he gives her four. He gives him four daughters, all with the gift of prophecy. Now, so every household will have servants of some sort, right? It's very rare a preacher gives, you know, <laughs> bears a son who will become a preacher. I mean, it sometimes happens, but it's only by the calling of God. So it shouldn't be this hereditary thing, right? It should be if you're called by God. But each one of us, every one of us is called to evangelize, okay? We might not be the, the particular office of an evangelist, but we are all called to evangelize. Obviously, the name evangelist is only used three times. The verb to evangelize is using, used 55 times. So the action, the actual art, the act of evangelizing to bring glad tidings, to bring the gospel to people, is essential. It's superior to the office. Just like preaching, it's far superior to the preacher. It is the, it is the act of God. It is the, that which God is calling us to, and not we ourselves. We are his instruments. We are the means by which he does this. But So we're all called to evangelize. Okay. All right. And they stayed there many days. So uh, verse 10, we stayed, uh, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. We've also seen Agabus. Remember, he had prophesied about the famine. 
that would happen under the reign of uh, uh, Claudius Caesar, which did happen. We talked about that, but he had prophesied that famine was coming, right? So he returns. Now he comes back, this same prophet. Um, okay. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Okay. Now this seems kind of weird, right? Here comes this, here comes this prophet, and he's like, Hey, Paul. And see that belt, <laughs> and you know he, he gets it, and then he goes and sits down somewhere, and with it he binds his hands and his te his feet, and he's like, you know, such it will be, you know, to the, uh, the uh, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, obviously Paul, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Again, this is what I was kind of getting back to, or getting at, at the conclusion of the previous study that the prophets would would often accompany their message with a visual aid. In fact, Isaiah was commanded to walk around nude for a time, and there's a reason for that, but there's, there are these visual aids that the prophets had to do to accompany their message. That's all Agabus is doing. That's all he's doing. Okay. Uh, now, now I do want to talk about briefly prophets, because this did, this was only for the early church. It was for the Old Testament looking forward to Christ, right? And then at, once Christ had come, prophecy continued for a time, for foretelling, just like this. But now that Christ has come, now that Christ has fulfilled everything, this only lasts for a time. And, and between, after the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, there was a four, there was a period of 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Completely silent of these major prophets, basically. They, the, the, the prophet's voice was utterly silent for those 400 years. Then the Messiah came in the fullness of time to fulfill all of those prophecies and then equip some of his disciples, some of his people for this for a time. And then once that time is over, we have the full testimony of looking forward to Christ and then his fulfillment. So there's no need for any of these, this vain foretelling. So when you see this, see these men who prognosticate and, 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 and say like the end is coming here and all this kind of a thing, which Jesus said himself, no one knows, not even the son. And so these men are basically making themselves out to be better than Christ. But there are these people who say that they have the gift of prophecy. Our prophecy now is thus saith the Lord. It used to be, just like we saw with Moses, thus saith the Lord, because he just told me, and now I'm telling you. Now, it's this is what he said, and so I'm proclaiming it to you. That's our prophecy. It's looking back to what, to what they were looking forward to, and what Christ has done. So that time is over. Okay? It's just something I wanted to mention. Okay. Now, when we heard these things, so verse 12, Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place, place pleaded with him not to go up to uh, Jerusalem. Um, sorry, hang on. Where is the one where... Okay, well, anyway, so when they heard these things, they had already known that this was coming. Uh, because, well, first of all, Agabus is already saying it, but uh, uh, Paul had already said um, that he was... Remember, he was uh, expecting... The Spirit kept on telling him uh, he was going to be in chains and have many tribulations, right? So they already know this part. And now they hear it from this prophet with this visual aid, and that must have stirred up more antagonism in them. And, and so when we heard these things, both we, so including Luke, 
Luke puts himself part of this company, okay? And we'll talk about this for a second. Both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So again, Paul is determined by the Spirit to go up to Jerusalem. Now Agabus, through the Spirit, basically says this is what's going to happen. And so through the Spirit, they're telling him not to go. The Spirit is not contradictory. The Spirit has, telling, has told all of them the same information. <laughs> basically, once Paul gets there, he's going to be chained and he's going to suffer. right? And so... All of the disciples don't want him to go because of that. Paul is determined to go because of that. Let's just, okay, 13. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What are you doing? What is this all about? You know me. You know me. What are you doing? This is breaking my heart. When... Uh, when Christ was telling his apostles that he, he, they are going up to Jerusalem, and when they get to Jerusalem, he will be delivered up to the Gentiles and, and suffer and die, Peter pulls him aside and says, not so. Basically, never, never. That is not going to happen. And this is slightly after Peter gave that, gave that great confession when, Paul, when Christ says, who do you say? You remember he had asked, you know, who do men say that I am? Some th think you're Elijah, some think you're the prophet, and all this. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter is the one who says, you are the, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So he says, bless you, Peter. And then shortly after, Peter set, set, pulls him aside and says, not so, never, no, Jesus, <laughs> no, I don't care what you said. No. And Jesus says, gives him a new name. Get behind me, Satan. So it went from blessing Peter to cursing Peter. Because Peter is imploring his Lord, first of all, you're wrong. <laughs> this isn't going to happen. And because he didn't understand the atoning death. He didn't understand the fulfillment, right? This is long before Christ's resurrection, long before Pentecost. So he just doesn't understand. So he implores him. These people know. No. Now, Paul is not going to suffer an atoning death, right? However, remember, we have seen throughout Acts, throughout his ministry, that he is, he is fled from harm, right? Because in order to preach the gospel, he needs to be alive, right? <laughs> I mean, that's really the way, that's really the purpose. And that's why he continued being preserved, even by the Spirit, to continue his witness. Now, he wants to give his final and greatest witness. And the same providence that protected him throughout that time is also going to protect him in that one as well. Because again, the testimony of martyrdom is a strong and faithful testimony to our God. So our God is ever-present and providential in and through that as well. It's a gracious thing. We will consider at a later point when we consider martyrdom. We don't actually see his martyrdom but when we consider 2 Timothy leading into that, we'll talk more about martyrdom. But God is abundantly faithful in all, all witnessing, including martyrdom. So Paul asked him, you know, what do you mean by this? You know, um, you know, this is my purpose. I'm not ready only to be bound. I'm ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of, for the, name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I hope and pray we all are. Again, remember, we looked at when Christ had asked Peter three times, do you love me? Again, to press it to your heart. 
Is there anything you wouldn't do for him? Christ implores his disciples to lay down your life that you may find it. He who, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. So he says, lay down your life, and he has given us eternal life. I pray to God we, we are at least faithful to give him give up our temporal life for his namesake. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. Christ also said, well, well, we'll get to that at the end. Actually, we're going to consider what Christ said, told his apostles and to carry over to many of his disciples. That's what we're going to conclude with. But so verse 14. So when we when he could not be persuaded, we cease saying the Lord, the will of the Lord be done, because ultimately that's what all of us are, are interested in. OK, it's not it's not our weeping uh, and all that. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasin of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. So that's their lodging place. And when we came and when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Now we're going to see kind of a controversy here. And so it's important to recognize these brothers don't believe the rumors that are being spread about Paul. Okay, but he's received gladly. And remember, we'd seen even in the Jerusalem Council when when they had first come and visited them and proclaimed what uh, everything what God was doing through Paul's ministry, they all rejoice. And so, but, but he's received gladly. That's going to be important as a preface going into this. On the following day, Paul went in with us to see James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So again, though, this is what God is doing through his ministry. Not the other way around as much. It is what God is doing through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, so they glorified the Lord first. Okay, so they were praising God for this. Now, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. And they're all zealous for the law. So again, this is Jerusalem. They're all zealous for the law, okay? But myriads of many have come to believe in Jerusalem, right? That's great news. Uh, but they have been informed, but they're very zealous for the law, and they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs, which is utterly false. We do see that since Christ came and the reconciliation that Christ has brought, that that the Gentile, basically the Gentiles don't need to become Jews to become Christians. Okay, so the Jews still should, I mean, if they're faithful Jews, still should follow the ceremony, ceremonies and the rites and the, and the customs of Moses, including circumcision, including their diet. Paul was just saying, we are freed from that. <laughs> you know, but if you want to continue a Jew, that's fine. You know, we are, again, we, we, Christianity has her roots in Judaism, so he has he sees no problem with that. If you're a Jew, you know, that's fine. But if you're a Gentile, no, no. Christ has abolished, the, Christ said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And basically that's what Paul is continuing to say. The law is, a, is a fulfilled now. That's all he's saying. So now that the Gentiles can be grafted in, not as Jews, as Gentiles into the vine of Christ. Um, so, but that, so they've been informed about that. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Again, obviously, the apostle has come. Real quickly, because uh, um, 
Paul does say in his letters that he had met with Peter also for 15 days before they met with James, and he only saw James. He didn't see any of the other apostles. So it seems like the apostles, remember, we had seen Peter go to all those other areas, and John had done that too. So that's most likely what these apostles are doing now. Their headquarters is still in Jerusalem, so they'll go report back to Jerusalem and go into these other areas, okay? And so that's probably why none of the other apostles are around, but the elders are, okay? What then? The assembly, yeah, okay. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Remember, this is the Nazarite vow. This is what we considered when Paul got his haircut, right? Uh, take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you were nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law, which he did. Remember, that Nazarite vow was a Jewish vow. Once it's fulfilled, there's a purification. So the vow lasts about 30 days, the period of which you cannot have strong drink or wine and you, and you grow your hair out the whole time. Once that uh, time is up, you shave your you cut your hair, and for seven days you have these rites of, uh, of purification. At the end of the seven, at the end of the seven days, that's when you get your hair cut, and you have to give an offering, and you burn your hair with the offering. Okay, so that's what they're doing. Now Paul had obviously made a vow as well. Now this seems like something of a compromise, right? This seems like they're basically having Paul to do something that he otherwise wasn't going to do. They are not asking Paul to do something he otherwise wouldn't do. He, like, he's not willing to do. He'd be more than happy to pay the expenses of his brethren to get, the, to get these purification rites uh, uh, done. But real quickly, because briefly I want to mention this, I, I, I come across many, er, many Messianic Jews. And that means these are Jews who believe in Christ. Wonderful. What they tend to say especially in our time, the Jews actually really respect Jesus. They, they find him as one of their greatest, you know, one, he's a great Jew, you know, and all this kind of a thing. So they really respect Jesus. They do not like Paul. They don't like Paul because Jesus did preach to Jews and didn't really change any of the customs. Even his institution of the Lord's Supper, they see as kind of an addition to the Passover. They didn't see that as a replacement, which I don't either. I think it was is an addition. But... They see Jesus is perfectly fine. It was really Paul who flipped kind of everything on its head and basically said the law, the law, you know, was was fulfilled. So the law is to love Christ. You know, that's the law that must be written on your mind and on your heart. But you know, he has fulfilled the law, but he he flipped it all on its head. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the diet. You, you know, basically uh, just. Uh, Keep yourself from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Again, that only applied for the, except for sexual immorality. But some of these particular things only apply to that time. However, that's what he's saying to all the Gentiles. So the Jews have a big problem with Paul. It's just, and it hasn't changed since this time. All of them have a problem with him here too. Including some of the believers, because they're hearing these rumors, and they don't like that. But we see that, that the James and the elders know that they are nothing. That is not true. That is not what he's teaching. It's easy to be misconstrued into believing that's what he's saying, just like the church does now, where they think that what Christ preached and what Paul preached are at odds. They think James and Paul cannot be reconciled, and they can, and they have been, and we've seen that. And so I'm not going to get into that, but you know, faith without works is dead and all that. That's what James says. And, he, and Paul goes on to 
we live by faith and all that, but they are reconciled. They're, they're easily reconciled, but that's why there's hostility with Paul um, from the Jews. Okay, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we've written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from, uh, from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. So they're basically saying, we've, <laughs> also uh, concerning the Gentiles who believe, we've written and decided they should observe no such thing either, circumcision. And that they should keep themselves. Remember, that was the Jerusalem Council. That's the letter that they wrote and signed off on and everybody authorized. And all the Jews then were happy with it. But now this rumor is coming around. It changes their, their framework, their ideas of Paul. Then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. That's what I was talking about. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Remember, when he was in Ephesus, in that big tumult in the theater, where everybody's going crazy. Remember, great as Diana of the Ephesians. And they just repeat it over and over like a mantra for two hours. And, but then, the, the city magistrate went in and saved Paul. Remember? Remember that? Now, so those same Jews, because Ephesus is in Asia, they recognize him. They recognize him, and, and so they, they point him out. This is Paul. Uh, so the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. So they grab him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! <laughs> this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. What a miserable, miserable mob who cries out for help against one helpless man. It was Paul who needed help. And it's all these, these, these evil instigators based on nothing, many of whom don't even know, which we'll see just like we saw at Ephesus. When mobs of insane, fallen, dark-minded people get together, they're all blinded in the same darkness. Some of them will, will raise holy hell for unknown reasons, without even knowing why. And that's what's happening. Um, but so uh, he also so they also uh, accuse him of bringing a Greek into the temple. Remember, we we saw that there's the, the the porch for the Gentiles. As you get to the temple, there's an area for Gentiles, and there used to be a big sign there, basically in Greek and in Latin, saying, "If you're if you are not a Jew, do not come past this point. The, the punishment would be capital punishment. You'd be killed. And if Paul brought one in there, he would be killed." That, that would be a huge, huge defilement of the temple. Now, okay, so Luke provides for us, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in that city, so they saw him with him, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. They just supposed it. They just supposed it. And since they supposed it, that's enough. That's enough to kill him. Without a trial, as we'll see, again, again, this has happened so many times to Paul, and now it's happening in Jerusalem. The, the capital of his brothers. He was raised a Pharisee. He loved Judaism. He still does, and he still loves his Jewish brothers, as we've seen throughout Acts. So this, this is a great tragedy for him. You know, he's, he's all excited to go to Jerusalem. Everybody keeps saying you're getting arrested. He knows, but he, we'll also see next week. He thinks he can make peace with them. That's going to wait till next week, God willing. But he does think that, that they just need 
some sense talked into him, you know? They're all insane. But, so, um, he didn't actually take him in, but they just supposed he did, and so, and all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. There they go, dragging him again. He's always dragged, and it's not a gentle, meek drag. They are grabbing him, and dragging him without care about what's probably kicking him along the way, but they have to take him out of the temple. Just so you know, this is completely unlawful. They're, they're complaining that uh, Paul is preaching against the customs of Moses while they themselves are going against the customs of Moses and the law specifically regarding the temple and the defilement of the temple. They're saying he defiled it by bringing a Greek in. They're defiling by doing this. This is completely unlawful. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, News came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So this was in the Antonian fortress, which was basically right next to the temple. Okay, so they were basically separated by stairs. So it doesn't take him long to get there because Paul basically have, has maybe five minutes of his life left. So they have to get there in a hurry. They are killing Paul. They are seeking to kill him. News came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And we've talked about uproars. He immediately took soldiers and centurions. So this, this commander would basically be probably a command over a, a legion, probably about 6,000 men. Uh, and then with, with cohorts of 1,000 men, centurions would be over, be over 100 men. And ran down to them. And when they saw the commander, when the Jews saw the commander they, and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And probably like, oh, oh God, dang. <laughs> Almost got there, but oof. Okay, this is dangerous. Because they are facing, again, great punishment for a tumult. Remember, Pax, Pax Romana, peace of Rome. Uh, then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. There are his chains. chains. So the spirit was telling him continually he would be in chains. Agabus had prophesied he would be uh, chained really by the Jews to be delivered over the Gentiles. And by God's providence, it is through the Jews and he is delivered to the Gentiles but by God's providence. Real quickly, this is just like what Christ, what happened to Christ. Started with the Jews, and they handed him over to the, to the uh, Gentiles because they couldn't lawfully put him to death at that time. So they handed him over to the Gentiles. Um, okay. So, uh, so he bound him with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. He's asking the, the, the crowd, basically, who is this guy? And what has he done? And he can't get a straight answer. <laughs> uh, uh, and some among the multitude cried one thing and some another because they have no idea why they're beating him. They have no idea. So some, one, some cried one thing, some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, it's just a chaotic frenzy of nonsense. Uh, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks, so into the Ant Antonian fortress. He doesn't take him to jail. Paul has not been tried. So he doesn't take him to jail. He takes him to safety. He takes him to the barracks of the, of the soldiers of Rome to keep him there. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. So the peace that was caused by the soldiers, these people being so furious in their blind anger, don't care at all for their lives now. Now they're willing to give up their life for the cause of killing Paul. And so they are coming. It doesn't matter that the soldiers have him. They are coming and trying to kill him still. And so the soldiers have to lift, them lift him over themselves. just to, So he's not continually beaten. They're probably getting struck. But 
in order to just get them out, that's what they have to do. The mob is insane. The mob is insane. And as we've talked about, that, that is just the same tendency as other fallen men and women. Once this uproar, this insane uproar based on nothing begins, it's almost impossible to get it to end. For the multitude of the, the people followed after, crying out, away with him, just like they did with Christ. So, I want to consider what, um, what Jesus had told, like I said, um, in um, Mark chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. Jesus says, But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. Whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So, our Christ warns this will not apply to everyone, but this is a warning specifically to his apostles and to many, many of his faithful martyrs throughout the ages. This has happened to. They're delivered up to councils. They're delivered up to kings. Paul will be delivered up to a king, as the Spirit promised him he would. And that, the purpose of that, uh, you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, don't worry beforehand what you're going to say. Don't start preparing your little speech. When this happens, no preparation, no preparation is needed, and I command you, don't prepare, because I will speak. I will speak. This is my testimony. This is what God's saying. This is, what my, this is my testimony. I know it's a, it's a faithful martyr, and we ought to weep, over any over the blood pouring of any martyr but it is for for the sake of Christ it is for the sake of God and it is he himself is the one who testifies in and through his faithful minister his faithful martyr paul is being delivered up to eventually be executed he, uh, he is later martyred we will talk about different accounts of how that might have looked when we uh, conclude with acts but he is, he is being sent to, for that final testimony because he seeks to finish the race with joy. Remember? We considered that. And he, and he awaits the crown that is laid up for him. So we're going to get into that uh, quickly. Also, this commander, his name is Claudius uh, uh, Lysias. And he's actually a very helpful, he becomes a very helpful uh, companion for Paul. And he helps him along the way. Uh, he keeps him safe. Uh, but uh, and also another thing about this um, this sailing, we'll see when he has to travel to Rome. He's shipwrecked, so um, he goes through a lot to get to Rome. Paul will continue going through hazardous account to hazardous account. He will be delivered. Now, right now, he's delivered up to the Gentiles. Then he's going to be delivered up to the governor. Then he's going to be delivered up to the king. He's going to appeal to Caesar. And he's going to have to be delivered up to Caesar later. So, this is what God is doing and through his, his apostle Paul. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your abundant faithfulness in our lives and the ministries of your children. I ask now that you strengthen your witness upon the whole earth and you do call your men and women to preach to the ends of the earth your glorious gospel, your good news. May our feet be those beautiful feet upon the mountains. Father, thank you for your great witness. Thank you for your amazing salvation, your deliverance. I ask now that you fill us with your truth, fill us with yourself, and fill us with your glory. We might glorify you now and forever. It's in your son's name we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the word of God is life.